We are in the middle of our series, Context. It's a three-week series where we are looking at the context of certain passages of the Bible. If you are here last week, we talked about Philippians 4.13, and someone asked me if I was nervous about doing that afterwards because, you know, that's a lot of people's life verse, and I thought, well, I, I wasn't nervous before you said that, but now that you said that, maybe I am a little nervous, and so because of that, today, the verse we're going to be talking about if I can be completely honest, I'm a little nervous because it's such a popular verse. And for, for some of you, it's your life verse. For some of you, you're going to have this verse on a picture somewhere. Some of you may even have a tattoo of this verse. So I think the front part of this message, you're really going to be mad at me. But hopefully by the back part, I've won you back with my charm and wit. And we'll be all on the same page again. And so um, three-week series, we're going to be wrapping this up next week. And then Pastor Brad will be back from sabbatical. So good news if you've been really enjoying the series. we got one more week. And then Pastor Brad comes back. If you have not been enjoying the series, good news. We just have one more week, and then Pastor Brad comes back. So either way, you are in good shape today. Well, today we're going to be looking at one of the most iconic scriptures in all of the Bible. We're going to be in Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So, Father, we come before you today, and we just... Pray that you would speak to us, God, that, that you would just remove our preconceptions and our pretense as we approach your word, God, and that, that we would approach it with fresh eyes today. And God, that you would help us to develop a deeper love for you and a deeper love for your truth and your word. And God, that through this, that, that we could see the plan that you have for us, God, and we could have a real clear understanding of what it means to prosper and what that future and hope really is. We thank you in Jesus' name. If you're ready to hear from God today, can you give me a big amen? Amen. Awesome. Man, good crowd today. Good crowd. So, um, no matter how cool you are, you, you, there's always moments in your life that make you feel awkward. And no matter what level of social success or, you know, how, how good you have it, I mean, there's always just moments that come on in life that, that make you feel awkward. Now, I, um, I don't aspire, to, I don't claim to be a cool person myself, but, you know, I've asked several people that I know that are cool, and they've they vouched for this. They've done research, you know, looked on Google. It's like how to be cool, and I found out the first step is not to search on Google how to be cool. Um, but, you know, so no matter what happens, no matter where you're at in life, there's always things in life that make you feel awkward. So for me, if I could share a few of them with you, one of, one of the ones is when you meet some or you run into someone that you kind of know, but you run into them, like, outside of the context that you normally run into them. So, you know, if you, if you know someone, like, here maybe at Core Church, and you kind of know them, you see them, you know them well enough that you kind of know them, and maybe you say hi to them here at church, or maybe it's a coworker that works on the floor above you or below you, or maybe another parent on your kid's ball team, and you kind of know them, you know, you know them there. But then you go to Target, and you go to Walmart, and you run into that person, and they say, hey, Mike, hey, Susie, and you're like, oh my, oh, who are you? You know, and in your head, you're, you're freaking out. You're going through your mental Rolodex, like, you know, and you're just trying to place. It's like those crime shows, you know, where they try to do the national data index thing, and you're like, who is this person? And so what do you do if it doesn't come to you? You totally fake it, right? You're like, hey, how's it going? You know, good to see you. How's the family? You know, and just, and you totally fake it, and you, you have this, you know, short talk, fake conversation with them, and then as you're leaving the store, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, that was so-and-so. And, you know, you just feel so stupid that you didn't place them because you saw them outside of where you normally see them. One of the other big awkward things that, um, I don't know, you guys are probably too cool to have had this happen to you, but, like, if you're at a party or a social gathering or something like that, and you see someone across the room, and, you know, they give you one of these, and, and, and you're like, who is that person? Do I, do I know them? And, and once again, you're going through the, your Rolodex, and then you're like, do I, 
do I wave back? Do I not wave back? Do I, maybe I just give them the, hey, what's up? I mean, you just give them the nod, you know, but then you, then you commit, and you're like, no, I'm going to wave back, and, you, and you're like, and you wave back, and then, then all of a sudden you realize they're waving at the person behind you. Oh, crawl up in a ball and die. You know, it's one of the worst things ever. So many bad high school memories flooding, you know, parties. The girl's like waving. It's like, hey, what's up, girl? Oh, you're not, you're not talking to me. Oh. I'm just kidding. I wasn't cool enough to go to parties in high school. I was just messing with you guys. Nothing, nothing worse than getting in the middle of someone else's conversation. Nothing worse than intercepting someone else's Hello, something that was not meant for you, but you just get plumb right in the middle of it, and you just, you know, wave back like an idiot. You know, nothing worse than that feeling of getting caught up in the middle of something that was not intended for you. Well, as we look at Scripture, one of the, the, the com- most common errors, I think, that we make when we approach the Bible, we approach Scripture, is that we can intercept someone else's hello. We can place ourselves in the middle of stories, in the middle of verses, in the middle of passages that really weren't intended for us. And we get right in the middle of that. We read ourselves in to the narrative of Scripture. See, here's, here's something that may blow your mind, depending on how long you've been in church. But the Bible was not written directly to you. Some of you are like, well, blasphemy, time out. I'm getting up. The Bible, actually, the authors of the Bible, remember this thing, this book is thousands of years old. They had original audiences that they intended to write to. A lot of the letters from Paul, you know, he had originally, whether it was the churches of that time or the, his letters to Timothy, uh, the book of Luke, you know, he wrote to Theopolis. Was, he, they had his original audiences that the authors intended to write to. The authors of the Bible did not sit down and somehow through the, the power of, of God, just like, I see a church in, this, in Broken Arrow. I don't know what a Broken Arrow is, but I see them and I'm going to write these words to encourage them, and, and, and I have this, you know, the suburb in mind. I don't know what a suburb is, but I'm right. You know, they, they didn't do that. They didn't have us as the end user in mind. They had specific things that they wrote towards. And one of the problems we can have is if we read ourselves in the middle of that, and we make everything in the Bible. We talked about this some last week. We make everything in the Bible about us, every promise, every verse, every time God says something good, we get in the middle of it, and we make it about us. See, it may help to think of it this way. In the Bible, there are specific promises, and then there are general promises. Specific promises are things that were given specifically for a certain time, a certain place, a certain audience, a certain people. A specific promise. A quick example of that, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he wrote to him and said, Hey, Timothy, your your stomach, I know you've had a sour stomach, drink some wine so that your stomach can feel better. That is a specific promise. That is maybe, unfortunately, not a general promise that every time we have a stomach ache, we can go chug a glass of Merlot. You know, it's, it's not a general. It was Paul was writing specifically to Timothy about his specific situation. We just kind of get to be party to that conversation. You got a specific promise. But then there are general promises in the Bible. And we know a general promise is in the Bible because it's consistent throughout the entire story of scripture from genesis through revelation we know that it's a theme or a pattern that weaves itself throughout scripture it's not just one isolated verse but it's a theme throughout scripture and these are general promises when we talk about god's love and god's faithfulness and god's goodness we know that's a general promise because it doesn't just appear once in the book it appears multiple times in multiple places in the book. And so from that, we know it's a general promise. That means it was good back when it was written, it's good now, and it's going to be good tomorrow. And part of our job and part of our task when we come to the Bible 
is we have to figure out the difference between specific promises and general promises. We have to be able to, through context, through interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we have to be able to look and say, was this written just for this people in this moment, in this specific time? Was it a specific promise or was it a general promise? Is it something that applies to me today just as written? And so that is the the setup for what we're going to do today to Jeremiah 29, 11. See, because I think there's probably no other verse in the Bible that this mistake is made with more than this verse. And we're going to see how I think a lot of times with this verse, we kind of get in the middle of the hello. We intercept the wave. You know, we get in the middle of a conversation that maybe wasn't intended for us. But we're also going to see the good news out of this passage. And it's going to be awesome because, man, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's just such a great verse. You know, this is the verse I guarantee if you go to Mardell and you buy like a graduation card, you know, we got a lot of our, our students here today, buy, buy them a graduation card from Mardell. I mean, you know, a Christian graduation card, not a heathen graduation card, you know, a Christian graduation card. It's going to have Jeremiah 29, 11 on that. You know, if you buy a, a good Christian coffee mug, like the kind of mug you would give to your mom or something like that, it's going to have Jeremiah 29, 11, some nice script on it. You know, this is the number one scripture. I did a Google image search for this scripture. This is like by far the number one scripture for Instagram, Pinterest, you know, it, it's a, this verse on some background. I'm telling you, young men, if you want to impress a lady and look spiritual, you throw Jeremiah 29, 11 on some mountain scene or something like that. You're going to get that call. You're going to get that date. I just promise it's going to happen because it's going to make you look super spiritual. I mean, we just, we love this verse. It's commercialized. It is everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a great verse. You know, this is a verse for I know the plans I have for you. I mean, God has a plan for me? Wow, that's, that's really awesome. Well, the plan that he has is to prosper me. God wants to, not only does he have a plan for me, but it's a good plan. It's a plan to prosper me. It's a plan to bless me. Oh, that, sounds, that sounds great and not to harm me. You mean God doesn't want to harm me. He wants to, he wants to make my life better. He wants to give me good things. Man, this sounds great. And, and a plan for a hope and a future. It's like, oh, that's so, this plan he has for me is to make my life better, not just now, but in the future, and, and, and I have a hope for tomorrow, and, and it sounds so good. Absolutely. Sign me up, man. Sign me up for this verse, that God would have a plan to bless me and to give me a hope and a future, and it's no wonder why we love this verse so much, and it, it's just such a, such a popular verse, such a, such a common verse, but I, and I think we most commonly use this verse when we think about it in relationship to getting through like a struggle, like a material, with something that's going on in life materially. And here's what I mean by that. And this is, this is something I've done. Like I literally, I, I've done this probably more than once. Like someone comes up to you and maybe they've lost their job. And you know, hey brother, I lost my job. And I don't know how things are going to, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And, and you say, man, I'm going I'm to pray for you. So you, you pray for them. And probably the first thing that comes, this has happened, the first thing that comes, God, I thank you, Lord, I thank you, you have a plan. For, for so-and-so. God, I thank you that you have a plan to prosper them. And because you have a plan to prosper them, you're going to give them a job. You're not going to give them just a job. You're going to give them a better job because you have a plan to prosper them. You have a plan to give them a hope and a future. And, and I prayed that verse in that situation that God would bless a person materially, that God would give them a job, that God would give them a better job, that instead of lack, God would give them more. Instead of need, God would give them Bountiful harvest. You know, I prayed those things using that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I think a lot of times we relate to that. God has a plan to prosper me, and we want that prosperity. 
We want the better job. We want the better house. We want things to happen that are good. We want God to operate in a way that, that it makes sense and it's good and he blesses us and he bestows all these things upon us. And I think that's typically how we come to Jeremiah 29, 11, that God wants to prosper you. But I think we need to stop for a moment and we need to, we need to have a princess bride. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Princess Bride. You know, the guy, Inigo Montoya, you know, my name is Nico Montoya, you killed my father, you know, that guy. The, the other famous line that he has in that, in that movie is, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And I think we need to stop and have an Inigo Montoya moment with this verse and specifically with this word prosper because I do not think the word means what we think it means. Because here's the deal, church, here's the deal. The gospel has to be consistent. It has to be the same wherever it's preached, Okay. And that means that the gospel has to be the same here in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in this beautiful suburb church that we have. The gospel has to be the same here as it is in Africa, as it is in Europe, as it is in the Middle East, as it is in Asia. You know, the gospel has to be the same everywhere that it's preached. And if we approach this verse where it says God wants to prosper, and we filter it through the context of our Western mentality. We filter it through the context of material blessings and God giving us more and and God making things easy for us. Then I tell you, it does not mean the same thing. The word prosper does not mean the same thing to us then as it means to someone in Africa making $1 a day. The word prosper does not then mean the same thing to us as it means to the Syrian mom refugee who's running for her life. It does not mean the same thing to us than it means to someone who's in the Middle East where they are literally now cutting off the heads of people just because they profess faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean the same thing then to the underground church that meets in China where at any moment they're afraid that soldiers are going to barge in to their homes and confiscate their Bibles and throw them in jail. See, if we approach Jeremiah 29, 11 with a Western, God wants to bless me, God wants to give me, God wants to make me mentality, we miss out on the power of the verse because then we cheapen the verse The verse doesn't mean the same thing globally, so it can't possibly, this word prosper has to mean something different. It has to mean something more. It has to mean something deeper. You guys with me so far? Awesome. So we're going to dive in to to what this means. And one more thing is that I think this word prosper has to mean something different because it's so dangerous, church, when we tie God's blessing and God's intent together. And, and here's what I mean by that. That when, when things are going well in our life, when we're healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know, when we're provided for and we have a good job, and we have money in the bank account, and we're, we got good health, and our relationships are going well, and people like us, and you know, we're, we're moving up, and things are going well, and we're paying off debt, and all that, and we're, things are going well, man, I, just, I feel blessed. I know God loves me. I feel, I feel blessed, and I feel God's... But, but when the inverse of that happens... You know, when the bank account goes down, when the health goes down, when relationships fall apart, when, when the stuff hits the fan, that we, we think God all of a sudden no longer has good intentions towards us. And I think a lot of us, we can do this on a subconscious level because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in that moment, don't you ever say, God, why? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? Smite me, almighty smiter. What? Why are you doing this to me? And we have that moment where we like God, when we tie what's happening in our situation and our circumstance and our health and our money, we tie all of that together with God's intent towards us. And it can be very dangerous 
to do that because we, if, if we do that, then God's only good when good things are happening. But we have to, I think we have to dive deeper into that because he's a good, good father. And he has to be good all of the time for him to be good at all. And I believe that that's what we're going to see today. So we're going to look at the three tools we talked about. We're going to look at the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, what comes before it, when it was written, its intended audience. We're going to examine the scripture with scripture. That's going to be very big today. And then we're going to apply this truth to our life. So here we go. Let's dive into Jeremiah 29, 11. Looking at its context, Jeremiah, the book, was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Wow, smart crowd today. Good. Jeremiah was written by Jeremiah. Let's see to whom Jeremiah originally wrote this. So Jeremiah, in 29, verse 1, says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So to sum that up, this letter is basically written from Jeremiah to the people of Jerusalem as they're being carried away into exile by the Babylonians. Now, just to give you a little Old Testament 101, this is a very common theme that happened throughout all of the Old Testament. The people of Israel would be doing great. They'd be following God. They would be rocking. God would be blessing them. Then all of a sudden, for some reason, just out of their own stupidity, they start to wander away from God. And then God no longer blesses them. In fact, God would send an oppressing nation, he would, and that nation would come in. They would overtake Israel. They would carry them away into captivity. Israel would cry out to God, God, forgive us. God, help us. God would sweep in rescue them, set them free from their oppressors, and then they would be prosperous again until they started wandering away from God. Rinse and repeat. Just a cycle of stupidity that happened over and over again in the Old Testament. So, in this context, this is exactly where we find Israel now. They're being carried away into exile by the Babylonians as punishment for um, them wandering away from God. And so this is where Jeremiah is writing this. So big picture, Israel's being carried away into exile. Smaller picture now, a sub-story of what's happening is found in the chapter right before Jeremiah 29, which is Jeremiah 28. And setting the table further, this is what's happening. So in Jeremiah 28, there's a prophet named Haniah that comes on the scene. And Haniah, in the midst of Israel being carried away into captivity, he comes up and says, hey guys, I know things are bad right now. We're getting carried away into captivity, but I've got good news. God's told me that we're only going to be in captivity for two years. And after that, we're going to be set free. Now, this sounds great to the people of Israel. Two years, you know, we can all make it. We can suffer for a few years. We'll learn our lesson. We'll move on. Two years, not that bad. Well, Jeremiah confronts Hananiah and says, Hananiah, you are a false prophet. That's not what God says. And God's going to demand something from you because of your false prophecy. They have this big showdown, this big confrontation. And seven months later, Hananiah dies. And that is why we name our kids Jeremiah and not Hananiah. <laughs> Hananiah shows up and he, he, delivers this false, he delivers this false prophecy. And, you know, right now in our society, there's a lot of talk about fake news, you know. So Hananiah delivered good news, but it was fake good news, that he delivered fake good news. And so there's a lot of, not a lot, but there, there's a certain subsection under the tent of the Christian faith. And they believe that if you follow God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. That if you follow God, you'll always be blessed, you'll always be prosperous, you'll always have what you need, you'll always be healthy, you'll always have good things happen, you'll always walk in abundance, you'll never walk in lack, you'll be the head, not the tail, you'll be the more than the conqueror. They believe all these things, and they believe that if, if you experience hardship or pain, then something's wrong with your relationship with God, because if you walk with God, 
you're always going to be blessed. And that sounds great. That's, oh, if I, so if I just follow God, everything's going to be great. If I just follow God, I'm always going to be healthy. If I just follow God, I'm always going to have what I need. That sounds so good. It sounds like good news. Well, here's the problem. It is good news, but it's fake good news. Just like Hanaya delivered that the struggle and the hardship was not going to be bad and it was not going to last a long time, there's a subset under the, the tent of the faith that believes if you just follow God, you'll never experience all of those things. And I'm here to tell you, in love and with as much gentleness as I can, that that's just not how Scripture works. It's just not how the narrative of the Bible holds together. And I, I want to prove that to you. And, and, and here's, I really wish that, that that was the way it worked. I really wish, because I, if following God made everything all right in your life, it'd be so easy to follow God, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just be so easy if, if God worked everything out and every situation always worked out and you were always provided for and you never had to worry, you never had to stress, and you were always healthy and God always answered the prayer. It would be so easy to be a Christ follower and it'd be so easy to, man, this place would be packed out because everyone would be like, well, how can I get in on that? It would be so easy to follow God, but that is not the narrative of Scripture. It's not the theme of Scripture. In fact, in the God time this week, which um, I haven't uploaded yet, but I will upload after church today. Um, in the God time this week, um, I, I prepared some other scriptures that validate this point specifically because I think it's such a big theme. And so I, I've got a couple scriptures prepared just to prove my point. But then if you don't believe what I'm saying here, go home and read the God time because there's a lot more where this came from is what I'm saying. So this is why it's so important we interpret scripture with scripture because verses like Jeremiah 29, 11 sound great, but they don't necessarily stand on their own. So what does it mean that God wants to prosper us? Well, Paul writing to Timothy says in 1 Timothy 3.12, in fact, so this is a fact, take this to the bank, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Will be persecuted. Boy, that sounds like prosperity, doesn't it? John 15.19, so let's go to the man himself, let's go to Jesus. What does Jesus say? If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So if you didn't follow me, the world would love you. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That seems like good news, right? That is why the world hates you. Oh, wait, so if I follow Jesus, the world hates me. But if I don't follow him, the world doesn't hate me. So following Jesus is the harder thing to do. It's the more troubling thing to do. And that's that's really really the theme of Scripture. And as, as much as we want it to be, that God's, you know, if we follow God, that he prospers. It just does, doesn't fit with the entire theme of Scripture. So this sets the stage for the passage that we're in today. It sets the stage for, for this little chunk in Jeremiah here. God's people are in captivity. They're being carried away, ripped from their homes, carried away into exile by, by the Babylonians. And they're wondering, just like we would, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? What's, what does the future hold? Are we going to get out? Are we going to be okay? And they want to believe it's not going to be that bad. They want to believe in Hananiah's report. But then Jeremiah steps up to the mic and he says this in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Let's not gloss over this. 70 years. They are going to be in captivity. This is not good news. This is not encouraging news. This is bad news. If we were here listening to Jeremiah, that means none of us are going to live to see the promise. 
where none of us are going to make it out. The only hope that we would have of seeing the promise are the kids back in Core Kid City. They might have a chance at seeing it, but for all of us, 70 years, we're not going to live to see the end of this thing. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been? Can you imagine how much it must have taken the air completely out of the room, how much it must have deflated Israel? Oh, I'm not going to live to see it. I'm not going to be delivered. I'm going to die in captivity in Babylon. 70 years. Has God forgotten about me? Has God forgotten about us? Does he care about us? Is he there? What is going on? 70 years, Jeremiah? Really? And that sets the stage for why Jeremiah 29, 11 exists. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That God follows up that, that news that must have been so devastating to them says, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And, and this you, by the way, it's really important we understand this, really important we understand. This you was not, first of all, it was not us. The you was not, I know the plans I have for you, Mike Carnes. It was not written in that context. The you that he had was written for, for the people of Israel, thousands, and not, and not just, I know the plans that I have for you, insert generic Hebrew name. You know, I, I, the, but the, I know the plans that I have for you, nation of Israel. It's a plural you. If, if God wrote the Bible here in Oklahoma, it would have been, I know the plans I have for y'all. You know, I know the plans I have for the plural you, for you, nation of Israel, for the collective you. Because at the moment it felt like all hope was lost, God had to remind them that he had a plan for that nation, that it, they were not forgotten, that he had a plan for their redemption. And even though none of the individuals we're going to live to see it, that the nation was going to live on, and ultimately the hope in the future was going to birth the Messiah of the world. The Savior of the world was going to come out of that nation that he knew the plan that he had for Israel. So what does that mean for us? Do we need to break all of our Jeremiah 29, 11 coffee mugs? And, no, no. But the real hope for this verse, I think, is found in the next few verses following. So in verse 12, it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And here's the good news. This is, this is where this verse moves from a specific promise to a general promise. And that general promise is that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bleak things get, no matter how impossible the circumstances seem, that God is with you. And that he's available to him. When you call to him, he answers you. When you cry out to him, he hears you. When you seek him with all of your heart, you can find him. We know this is a general promise because it is consistent from Genesis through Revelation that our God is a God who cares for us, that our God is a God who knows how many hairs are on our head, that is a God that formed us in our mother's womb, a God that loves us so much it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, a God that Paul said that nothing can separate us from his love, a God that the psalmist said that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because he is with me. That is a promise that is consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. It's for us today. It's for us today. So if you listen to nothing else, just listen to this next few minutes. The, the, the thing about Jeremiah 29, 11 and this passage is this. Just like the people of Israel, you and I were held bound and defeated by the power of sin. We tried to overcome it. We tried to kick back. We tried to fight back. We tried to be better people. We tried to do the right thing. But no matter how much we struggled, no matter how much we strive for freedom, 
We're bound and broken by the power of sin. But in our brokenness and in our defeat, God looked down at us and says, I know the plans that I have for my people. And it's a plan not for them to die in their sin, not for them to live in defeat, but it's a plan to prosper them. Not to prosper your wallet, not to prosper your bank account, not to prosper your earthly situation, but God's plan was to prosper your soul, was to bring freedom to your soul, was to bring freedom to your eternity. And that's why the good news of Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is that we can have access to God through the work of Jesus, that Jesus came so that we can be restored back to God, so that when we call out to him, he hears us, so that when we seek him, we find him, that God is available to us, that God is near to us in our time of need, that no matter what we face, no matter the obstacle, no matter the uncertainty, no matter the difficulty, we can have a hope that is eternal. We can have a hope that is sure. We can have a hope that is unshaking. And even if, like the people of Israel, we don't see the deliverance of the promise here on this earth, we have an eternal hope. We have a never-ending hope that our God is a God who saves us, not from our trouble, but is a God who saves us from our sin. God's goal is to prosper your soul. God's goal is to prosper your soul. And what does that prosperity look like? What does the prosperity of Jeremiah 29, 11 really look like? It looks like this. One, it looks like that we can trust God's timing. That we can trust God's timing. It was 70 years. Imagine how easy it would have been for the the children of Israel to just jump ship on what God was doing. 70 years. They weren't going to live to see the end of the promise, but God had a bigger plan in mind. God was working something that they couldn't see in the micro, that they had to pull back and see the bigger picture. In your life, you may be going through something right now. You can't see how God's working. You can't see the end result. I want to tell you, prosperity in your situation looks like that you can trust the timing of God, that you can know that he has a plan for you. We can also trust not only God's timing, but we can trust God's intent. He said, I know the plans I have for you, and those plans for good, those plans for prosperity. Once again, not talking about material trinkets and stuff that goes away so quick, but God's intent for us is good because God's intent for us is restore us to fellowship to him. And God's intent for us is to make us look like Jesus, and God's intent for us is to spend eternity with him. And everything we do, the church, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Eternity is, it's, we're living in it. And everything we do now, it's, it's, it's in preparation for eternity. Just like you would with your child, where sometimes you don't give them something they want because you're trying to prepare them for what they need to become. God does the same thing with us. And God's intent for us is good. And even though we may not see it with our eyes, sometimes we have to trust and understand. We have to trust in his intent. We have to trust he's good. Even in the midst of stuff that may not seem and may not jive with that, we have to trust and we have to say, God, even though I don't see it, I'm going to trust your intent. I trust that you are good. And finally, we have to trust God's availability. Prosperity is trusting in God's availability. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you pray, I will listen. If you call, I will answer. We have to trust God's availability because in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your lack, in the middle of your need, it feels like God's not there. But I want to tell you, faith does not operate by feelings. And if you will step out in faith and say, God, even though I don't feel you here, I trust that you are here for me right now. I trust that you're listening to my prayer. And I trust that you're working things out, God. I trust in your intent. I trust in your timing, God. And I trust that you're here. And God, no matter what's going on, God, you're preparing me for the life to come. God, you're preparing, you're molding me. You're making me into your son. You're making me into the image of your son. So God, I thank you for these trials. I thank you for these trials. You get crazy when you start praying like that. 
Because you stop praying according to your will and you start praying according to the will of God. And that's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is about, church. It is about developing an eternal mindset. It is about trusting that the prosperity of God has so much more to do than what's going on with us materially, but what's going on with us spiritually and what's going on with us for eternity. And that's the prosperity God wants to give you. So don't take, don't take Jeremiah 29, 11 on man. Let it, let it speak deep into your heart. Let's speak deep into your soul that God does want to prosper you. But what does prosperity mean? Prosperity means that I have grace for every situation. Prosperity means that I can trust God no matter what comes. Prosperity means that I know no matter what happens to me, my hope and my future is not found in me getting a better job or getting more or getting the things that my hope and my future is found in an eternity with God and an eternity with Jesus. And that is prosperity. And that is hope. And that is a future that our God is a God who is near to us when we call and there for us when we cry out to him.